everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. We've been making our way through this letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome for some time now, and we've made our way to chapter 12, and um, because we're kind of in the middle of chapter 12, I think it's important that I kind of back up and and uh, and bring you up to date and, and share with you truth that you are certainly probably already familiar with, but we have established the fact that in the first 11 chapters, Paul writes kind of some deep theology. He gets into some truth that we need to know and embrace. And then beginning in chapter 12, he really talks about a practical application of that. How do we live out what we've discovered in those first 11 chapters? And in chapter 12, he offers some critical key for us and the challenges that we confront in life. And Paul says in chapter 12 that, that if we're going to, to p- apply all that we've learned, we need to learn to daily present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And that we do that by not being conformed to the world, but by being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so Paul, as he begins to talk about those things, goes forward to say that as a part of the body of Christ, every one of us are unique. Every one of us have a spiritual gift. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. We talked about that last week. You have a spiritual gift. God has given to each one of us particular passions and abilities and and a personality and experience and all of those things come together. And God has put you here in this church because you are who you are. And everybody else in this church needs you to be who you are. And you need to be who you are. And so Paul really kind of unpacks for us what it means to be who we were created to be, to know what our spiritual gift is and to act on our heart and our ability and our personality and our experiences. We talked about that and offered you some information last time we were together on the Grace Profile that's on our website that kind of helps you discover those spiritual gifts. Now, I want you to remember this. Paul is saying, okay, as a church, each one of us has unique spiritual gifts that makes us different. And it is that diversity in the body of Christ that is absolutely critical for your survival. Uh, We need people that are not like us. We need people that are strong where we're weak. We need people who have experienced things. And God has given that to us in the church. So that in the body of Christ, there are going to be times in your life, you're going to experience things and you're going to wonder, where is God in this? And you know what? God's put somebody else in our church who's already walked through that experience. And they're going to be able to come alongside you with their testimony of God's faithfulness. And that's what's going to get you through that tough time. There are going to be challenges that you're going to face and somebody's going to have a gift a spiritual gift that will get you through that tough time. So Paul is writing to the church critical information. Now remember this. He's writing to the church at Rome, and it is not easy to be a Christian in Rome. And it's only going to get worse. You and I know, as we look back at history, Rome is the place where Christians were killed for sport. Man, it's going to get hard to be a Christian in Rome. 
It's going to be easy for us to be tempted to turn our back on Christianity and the things of God. How are we going to maintain? How are we going to hold true? And Paul gives us insight by saying the way that that we hold together in tough times is, is that we have the church. We have the family of faith. Probably more important than your physical family is the family of faith that God has given you. And I want to tell you, I believe these are critical words for us today because we're in some troubling times, aren't we? I'm teaching through the book of the Revelation on Wednesday night. We're going verse by verse through Revelation, just like we are going through verse by verse in Romans here. And you know what I've discovered? It isn't going to get any better. There's no hope that this world's going to turn around. In fact, everything I know of what I've discovered in Scripture and lived in life, it's going to get worse. But God has given to us all we need to make it in those tough times. And a big part of that is this family of faith. It is calling us to live our best self in the place God put us. And as we do that, we begin to see things happen. So Paul's getting very, very practical in chapter 12. In fact, uh, one of the things, I mean, his whole style of writing changes in chapter 12. Paul is the kind of writer sometimes he can, he can stretch one sentence into three or four or five verses. I mean, just he's, he will write a run-on sentence that just goes on forever. But in these passages that we're looking at today, Paul doesn't do that. He gives us these little quick clip, pithy statements as he shows us how to do what he's calling us to do. So with that in mind, there are two things that Paul's going to challenge us to do. He's going to say, if we're going to survive in these tough times, if we're going to make it, we as a church need to learn how to treat each other inside this body of Christ. Because of the diversity that is here, we have an enemy. The diversity is our strength, but the enemy will use our diversity to divide us. That's why the church sometimes is known for our fighting, right? Because the enemy wants us to fight each other. Because he knows if we're staying together, we've got everything we need to overcome. He doesn't stand a chance when the church stands together. So he's constantly working to divide us as a body from other people. And he always uses that diversity because people are different than we are. And we live in a world today where Satan has convinced the world that if you're going to survive, you've got to listen and be like me and think like me and act like me and like what I like and do what I like. And if you don't, then you're, you're on the outside. Well, the church, we're the opposite of that. We are all different. And it is that diversity that makes us strong. So, in the text before us, Paul's going to tell us how to do that. Not only does he tell us, though, how to relate to one another, he's going to tell us how to relate to the world. Now, I hope that we can talk about both those things today, but it depends on how fast you listen. And I have to tell you, I got up this morning and began to look, and the more I look at this, the bigger this sermon gets. So we're just going to have to see how far we make it in our time together today. But let's begin reading with these words that Paul offers. And so if you look with me, begin with verse 9, and let's just read all the way down through verse 21, and we'll see how far we get. Let love be without hypocrisy. 
Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. No lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, in this incredible section of scripture. Paul gives us some tremendous truth that will enable us to live victoriously in the challenging times that we face. And he does that by saying, we need to be a part of the body of Christ. Two things that he says. In verse, uh, in verse 9, all the way down through verse 13, Paul is going to talk about how we are to treat one another within the church. How are we to treat other believers in the body of Christ? How are Christians to relate to other Christians. He does that in verse 9 through 13. In verse 14 down through verse 21, he tells us how we are to relate to people that are outside the church, people that are not Christians, uh, are not believers, and he kind of outlines for us how we are to live. And, and I think these are powerful words. He begins in verse 9 by saying this, let your love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. He's ultimately saying this, love those that are in the church. Your job is to love everybody else in the church. Now, I want to tell you something. That's impossible. It is, just let me be honest with you, it's hard to do. This is a command that can happen only as we live our life transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It connects us all the way back to what he says in verse 1. And the reason I say that is because some of the hardest people in the world to love, I've discovered, are in the church. We're the most unlovable bunch of people in the world. And somehow the church just collects unlovable and people that will push your love away will challenge every act of love that you give. It's no surprise to me that God would say when he talks about his children, we are sheep. He describes us as sheep. And I want to tell you something, that warm, cuddly, beautiful lamb is only warm and clean and cuddly in a picture. In real life, let me tell you about sheep, they stink and they bite 
And having been a pastor for over 40 years, I've discovered sheep stink and they bite and it's hard to love them. And yet God says we are to love them. I heard the story about one guy who, who had had all he could take of the church. You know, sometimes we get all we can take. And he said to his wife, she got up one morning, she said, we need to get ready to go to church. He said, I'm not going. She said, what do you mean you're not going? He says, I'm not going, I'm done. She said, no, we always go to church. Get up, get ready, and go to church. He said, no, I'm not going. I'm telling you, I'm done. I'm finished. I don't like the church. I don't like those people. Those people don't like me. That, that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, and I am not going. She goes out and fixes coffee, comes back later, and she said, you still in the bed? He said, yeah, I told you I'm not going. She said, get up. We're going to church. He said, give me one good reason why I should go to church. She said, you're the pastor. <laughs> I want to tell you something. When Paul says love one another, man, that's impossible. How in the world am I going to love the church? And this is what I love about it. He kind of defines for us what that means. This is what I love because Paul says, I know you're not going to get it. When I say love you know, we just start to love each other. Oh, well, we just, I just love you and you love me. And especially guys, we don't know what that means. I mean, Paul says, love one another. What does that mean? Well, I love you, bro, you know, or back to the, the old days of, uh, man, I love, I love you, man. I love you, man. Yeah, I love you too, man. And we pat on the back, we walk away. We don't know what to do beyond that. I said it. That's it. That settles it. And Paul says, I know you're going to struggle with it. And listen carefully. He said, the world is going to have their own definition of love. So let me tell you what it looks like. You are to let your love be without hypocrisy. Now, it's really interesting because the key's hanging in the front door. Paul said, your love. And when he says the love, your love is without hypocrisy. You know, the word that he uses there is the word agape. You know, you've heard that there are different words in the Greek language for love. Phileo, where we get the word brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, from that Greek word phileo, the city of brotherly love. Well, we know there are many words in the Greek for love. Paul uses the word agape. It's the only time he uses this word to describe the love that we are to have for each other. He always uses that word to describe the love that God has for us. It is the perfect love that God has for us. And Paul says, you are to, within the church, love each other the way God loves you. You're to love with God's love. You're to kind of, the, the love that you're to have in the church is a God-like love. It is a love that loves no matter what the circumstances are. It's a love that doesn't stop. It's a love that's deliberate. It's a love that continues even when it is rejected. That's the way God loves us. And he said, that's the kind of intensity of love that we're to have for one another. And we're to love like God loves no matter what. That's not a new requirement. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, above all else, love each other deeply. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 says, love with a pure heart. John 13, Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. But what does that love look like? Well, Paul gets specific. He said, let me help you understand this. And I'm so glad he does this. 
He says in the same phrase, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. Let it be let it be real, let it be sincere, don't let it be fake or selfish or conditional. And then he says this, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Now I'm glad he said that. Because what he is ultimately saying is that love, love, real love, agape loves, demands a God-honoring morality. What he's saying is this, I don't want you to confuse love because we think that to love somebody means to ignore everything about them. I just love you no matter what you do. Paul said, that's not love. I mean, the world says that's what love is, right? The world's definition of love is that if you love me, you accept me as I am and you accept everything I do. And if I live a lifestyle that is contrary to God's word, you've got to love that lifestyle or you don't love me. And God says, no, 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 no. You don't get to define love. That's not what love is. Love doesn't accept you and everything about you. Love loves you. And at times, love can hate evil and hold to that which is good. And, and, and so what he is ultimately saying is that there is a morality about our love. It doesn't mean we compromise. It doesn't mean we are soft on evil. It doesn't mean we turn our back or a blind eye to things that are happening. In the body of Christ, if we truly love each other, we literally will hold one another accountable to walk according to the principles of God's word. And when one of us steps out of line, it's absolutely within line for the rest of us to say, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait, you, you don't go that way. You can't continue to do that because that's going to lead to destruction. We love you. Love doesn't let us continue in a path of evil or destruction. Love has to be tough at times. And we have been lulled into believing that love means to accept people where they are, as they are, do your own thing, God will deal with it. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not it. You hate evil. You cling to good. You hate sin and love the sinner. Now, I want to tell you something. If we stopped right there, we would be in danger. And in fact, the reason that some have left the church is because we did stop right there. And we become very good at pointing out all the evil in everybody else's life. And as a church, we begin to get a little judgmental and look down our nose and say, well, you, I, I mean, I hate evil and buddy, your, your life's full of it. Look at what you're doing. Look at the things that are happening. But if you continue to recognize Paul's description of love, you begin to understand that you and I, if we continue, earn the right to speak honestly into the lives of other people because we exercise that agape love. Look at the next thing that he says in the passage before us. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There needs to be a connection within the body of Christ. Your family. Maybe I can say it this way. In my family, I have the relationship with my sons that you don't have. And there are some things I can say to them that you can't say 
Does that make sense? I, I can kind of speak boldly into their lives in a way that nobody else can. And, and how is it that I can do that? Because I've earned the right to do that because throughout their lives, they know dad loves them. They know he's not perfect. They know he messes up. They know he doesn't always make wise decisions. But they can count on one thing. Dad loves me. And he loves me unconditionally. He loves me without exception. And he has earned the right because of that love to speak into my life. When he sees me doing something that I shouldn't do, he's earned the right to say something about it. Isn't that what family is? We earn the right to speak into the lives of our family members and as a body of Christ. How is it that I earn the right to point out error in your life? The way I earn the right is for you to know that I love you unconditionally. To know that my love for you is without hypocrisy, it is real, it is sincere. And when you know I love you, you will let me have hard conversations with you. And I want to tell you something. Listen to me carefully. If I really love you, it, it tempers the way we have those hard conversations, right? Because I love my sons, I don't just blatantly say, you knucklehead, how in the world did you make that kind of mistake? That's a stupid thing. Don't do it. No. I lovingly come beside them. And I say to them, hey, man, I got a, I got a concern. I'm worried about you. I, I want to know what's going on with your life here. That's not like you. You've made some decisions, and I'm afraid of where that's going to take you. Let's talk about that. You see the difference? That's love that is sincere. And, and what Paul says is we're to have that kind of love for one another in the body of Christ. And it's hard to do because everybody in the body of Christ is different than I am. And they, they, they come from different camps. Do you understand Paul is saying that in the church there are people that voted for Trump and there are people that voted for Biden and we got to love each other. We have different views and different ideas. But God has put us together and if we genuinely love one another, we can have the kind of conversations that address the evil that can destroy us that's what real love looks like. And Paul goes on and he defines it this way. He, he says, listen, not, not only do we need to be devoted to one another, there needs to be a connection, that family type love that, that literally means, and what is brotherly love? It means you can be counted on, right? I, I know what brotherly love looks like because I've seen it in my relationship with my brother and I've seen it in my three sons growing up. My three sons were were such that, uh, wow, there's a TV show named that one there. Um, people would say to us from time to time that they're stair-step, you know, Michael, Daniel, John, as they were growing up. And we would often say, we can't tell because they're always in a pile. They're never like that. And they're always fighting. And there were times when Tanya would say, I just, are they going to be friends when they grow up? I mean, they just fight constantly all the time. And the brother kind of, you know, stuff that goes on in, in the house in that situation. But this is what I discovered about my, my sons. It's all right for them to fight each other. But if you fight one of them, you're going to have to fight the other two. Now, it's all right for them to jump on him. 
But if you jump in the middle of it, you're going to have three of them after you. There is something about that brotherly love where we have each other's back. We can be counted on to know this is what brotherly love looks like in the church. I am for you. And you know one thing about me. I'm for you. You can count on the fact that I'm in your corner. Then Paul says this. Give preference to one another in honor. What does that love look like? Well, how do I love somebody with the love like God has? He says, well, this, this is what it looks like. You give preference to one another in honor. You, you, you yield your own desires for the desires of others. Love enjoys giving to other people, doesn't it? Isn't that one of the natures of love is that it gives? The best way I can describe preferential treatment to you is to describe, moms kind of get this, I think. It's just intuitive for most moms. They almost always give of themselves for their kids. Um, I saw it growing up in, 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 in my mom because my mom pretended through my entire childhood that her favorite lifesaver was the green one. Because I hated the green one. And the green one was always on top of the red one, which was my favorite. And whenever I'd open the package of Lifesavers, you know what my mom would say? I want the green one. And whenever I'm looking at that green one thinking I got to eat the green one before I can get to the red one, my mom would say, I want the green. That's preferential treatment. That's, that's saying, you know what? I don't particularly like the green lifesaver. But I sure do love you. And if you love that red lifesaver that much, I'm going to eat that green one because it just thrills my heart to watch you enjoy the red one. You see, that's what love looks like in the body of Christ. When we prefer one another, it's not like I'm giving in to you. It's that, no, if that's what, if this is important to you, then man, let's do that because it thrills my heart to be able to do something that's important to you. And it, and it really encourages you. You and I have the opportunity every time we worship. So many times in churches we'll have, like in, in worship experiences, man, I, we're, you're not listening fast enough. We're not going to get through this, I can tell. So many times in churches we have worship experiences that cater to people's needs and wants. If you like this kind of music, we go in this room and you got this kind of music in this room and this kind of music in this room and we pipe the preacher into every one of those and that way we can meet your particular needs. But you know what Jesus says? Somebody in the body of Christ likes that song. They just love the doxology. We sang it a little bit ago. And it brings them back to a time in their life when they were growing up and that was an important part. It kind of set their heart right for worship. 
And it's easy for us if we're not careful to say, I don't like that song. I don't want any part of that song. But it also gives us the opportunity to say, you know what? There are people in the church that love that song, and I'm going to sing it to the top of my lungs because it makes me happy to know that I am singing a song that touches the heart of somebody else in the body of Christ. Do you get it? That's what Paul's saying. That's what the love in the church looks like. It is that agape love that is devoted to one another. And then it gives preference to one another in honor. He says in verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence. What he says by that, what he means by that is don't quit. It is so easy for us to start well and then get distracted. He said, don't quit. This is hard stuff. Relationships are difficult. It requires time. It requires energy. It requires work. Not lagging behind in diligence. This is hard work. To love one another is a hard job. Let's don't stop. Let's get better at it. Let's work harder at it. And then he says this, be fervent in spirit. To be fervent in spirit in verse 11 is, it really is a call for our best. It's, he's saying this, keep your focus on God. I want you to see loving others as a way of serving God. I want you to see that, that loving others and preferring others and, and, and yielding to the needs of others and, and, and loving others through the challenges they face, that, that's a way that we love God. That we're walking in obedience to him and, and he's telling us. And so the motivation of our heart becomes that, that it thrills the heart of my heavenly father. And I'm fervent in spirit and man, I want to please the heart of God. And, and God loves the church and because God loves the church, I'm going to love the church. I want to be for the church and those that are a part of it. Besides that's. It's there that we get our strength, and it's there that we get our wisdom. It's there we get our insight. It's there we get the ability to love people. How else can we love people who stink? How else can we love people who bite? Only when we're fervent in spirit and God gives us the strength to see beyond that, to love beyond that. And he does, right? He gives us the ability to move beyond that. And then he says this in verse 12. To do this, he said, be joyful in hope. I, I like that because he's saying this in, in a sense. It's hard. It's hard work. And even when it doesn't look like it's paying off, be hopeful. You can, you can try, and you say, well, I, well, I'm doing my part. I'm loving, and nobody else is responding. Nobody else is loving, and, 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 and you know, I'm not being appreciated for what I do. And Paul says, be hopeful, <laughs> be, be joyful in hope, knowing it's hard. And even when it doesn't work out, even when there's no results, he goes on one step further and says, be patient in affliction. Just hang in there. Be patient in affliction. 
An old seminary professor used to say this, be kind to everyone because everyone is having a hard time. Be patient in affliction, recognizing that everybody in this room is having a hard time. We do a great job putting up a front. We have this wonderful face. We have this Facebook profile that makes it look like everything's good when the bottom line is every one of us are having a hard time. And when we love and are patient in affliction, and then he says this, and we're faithful in prayer. And that as a body of Christ, our first default setting is to pray for each other. Maybe this would be the challenge for us. What does that look like today? Hey, what if it, what if it was this? When you come in every Sunday morning, when you come back next week, this is my challenge to you. Don't say anything, but when you come in, pray for the person on either side of you. Just pray for the person on your right. You may know them well. Maybe wife, maybe husband. Pray for them. God, I just lift this person to you and ask that you work in their heart and life. I want you to let them know that they're loved by you and they're part of the family of faith. There may be things you know they're going through that you can pray specifically for. And then you turn to the left and you don't know that person, but God does. And you can say, God, I don't know that person, but I just lift them to you because they're my brother in Christ. And this is one final challenge. This is what I want you to do next week. When you come, you're going to walk in here and, and just remember, I'm going to pray for the person on either side of me. And if you don't know the person on that side before you leave, introduce yourself and simply say this, hey, I prayed for you this morning and I'm going to pray for you this week. Is there any particular thing that I can pray with you about? And introduce yourself. That's how we become the body of Christ. Do you see that? It's in those connections. And that's what gives power to the church. Love, cares, Sharing with people in need. The next thing, he, he even goes one step further and says, what, what does love look like? Well, it shares with people in need. Practice hospitality, he says. What that literally means is this, don't wait to be asked. If you see a need that you can meet, meet it. If you see something that you can do, you're gifted to do that. You have the ability. You have the experiences. God has worked in your life and you see a need in the life of another person. Just meet the need. Step up and become for that person the hands of Christ and, and the mouth of Jesus and the ears. Does, does it make sense? Do you understand that if we begin to do that in here, that's what draws the world to us? There's something different about these people. I don't even know who that person is. And they walked up and introduced themselves and said, they're going to be praying for me this week? That I matter? They saw the challenges that I was facing and I didn't say anything, but they recognized it because they walked through it too and they said, you know what? Kind of notice that you're maybe walking through this and I've walked through that myself. And here's my testimony of God's grace and his power. 
That's what koinonia is, that word, Greek word for fellowship that means to, to be common in the things that we share with and the things that we share in. It's that love. It's that love that makes an impact in the world around us. Well, we don't have time to talk about how we're to love people out there. So let's just hang on to what God's taught us to do with people in here. Let your agape love toward others be without hypocrisy. Let it be real and genuine. Show it in the ways that Paul tells us to show it. And you and I will be equipped as a church together to go through the tough times that are ahead. Because everything we face in the future, God has given us the resources for within the body of Christ. And if we are being who God's called us to be here, then others can be who God's called them to be. And together, well, we overcome. See, the church is the only thing standing between this world and evil. <laughs> your kids and evil, your grandchildren and evil. And when we stand together, we overcome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you have given us today the opportunity to respond to its truth, the call that you have given us to love. We grow up hearing that, oh, we are to love one another, but you have gone one step further and told us what that love looks like. You've shown us exactly what we are to do. And we have a tendency to be so selfish and self-centered that we can't get our eyes off of our own things long enough to, to truly love others. So. Help us today to begin to love with your love those that are a part of our family. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that there's somebody in this body that has a testimony that I need to hear because they walk through what I'm walking through. Thank you that I have abilities to help others that need that ability. Thank you that I have a gift that I can give to the body. Help us to do that is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.